Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is Brian Kazaska. Hey, Brian. Hey, Ben. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. Well, we're doing another, uh, we're sharing again with uh, everyone another interview from our book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I think a lot of people, we've heard good feedback about these interviews. And, you know, we're not going to do all the interviews from our book because you have to go and get it. You got to actually check out our book at bluerosemag.com. We decided to share another interview. This time we are sharing with, uh, which what, what interview are we going to share today, Brian? Well, this is an interesting one because I don't think I've ever heard his voice, nor have I think I've ever seen his face. Now I have, and it's interesting, he was hiding in Twin Peaks original series, Scott Frost. Yeah, Scott Frost, Mark Frost's brother, Scott Frost, he did the, the script for the audio cassette that, that they had back in the day. He did the autobiography of Dale Cooper. He wrote some of the scripts for Twin Peaks. I mean, he's kind of had his hands all over Twin Peaks, and it's so exciting, and you know what? The great thing is to have the brother of the co-creator of Twin Peaks, we might get some insight more about the creation of Twin Peaks because, you know, he, he's got some insight, I think. Yeah, totally. We had some golden nuggets and in our book, have a photo that like was something we didn't know about. We discovered that he ended up playing a bit part in Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, I mean, so cool. th- I don't think in the 30 years or so, I never knew he was actually in Twin Peaks. So that was news to me. <laughs> So here is Scott Frost. Hello. Hi, Scott. This is Ben Durant. Ben, hi. How are you? Good. And I have uh, my co-author, Brian, here. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hi, Brian. I'm good. So we got a little bit of time to talk with you about Twin Peaks? Sure. From, you know, if you can, you know pick anything out of the recesses of my uh, <laughs> aging memory. <laughs> I know, I can't believe it's 30 years. It's been 30 years. but uh... Yeah, it's, it's a long time ago, yeah. Do you remember how a you got... of water under this bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how you got involved with Twin Peaks? Uh, we, the first I knew of it was uh, when Mark gave me an early draft of the pilot script to read. Hmm. which was at that point called... Uh, Northwest Passage? It was called Northwest Passage, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, you know, it was kind of interesting, but it, you know, it wasn't, didn't seem to be anything incredibly unique at that point. And, uh, you know, and then it just, you know, the ball started rolling and, uh, you know, it turned into one of the great pilots ever made. My wife and I were living in Minnesota at the time. I was, I was a museum guard at that point. Oh yeah. And a uh, and a screenwriter, and so I was writing scripts. And I had already gotten an agent, and I'd had a couple things uh, optioned. And then Mark, who's surprised as anybody else, uh, you know, called up and said, uh, you know, they picked it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why don't you come out? So I mean, that's how, how I uh, got involved. 
The first thing that you might have done would have been the Diane the Twin Peaks tapes of Agent Cooper there? It was, yeah. yeah. And do you remember how that was pitched to you? Was that, was that something that Mark pitched to you? I have no recollection. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I guess it was just the, the whole concept of, you know, his tapes. Yeah, as I remember, there was very little direction about it, but I'm sure there must have been some. Uh, and but if what that was, I have really no memory of. I think it may have even won a Grammy. I yeah, I mean, Conor McLaughlin earned a Grammy mm-hmm. nomination for a spoken word performance. Oh, did it not win? It which is was nominated. I think he was nominated, but I mean, to just be nominated—that I mean, it's your words that he had to read—is is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I never got a certificate or anything, though, so, you know, oh. but that's showbiz. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? You definitely figured out Cooper, how he spoke. I mean, right from there, it was in, like a 45-minute tape, cassette tape, where you basically had, like, minute uh, minute entries where mm-hmm. you talked to Diane, but, boy, you seem to figure, it out, figure him out right away where you know, he's kissing the ground from when he lands on the airport and he's observing uh, birds and the moon, and, and but I, I felt like you, you really got him. Yeah, I, I, I understood, Cooper. Diane, 10.30 a.m. Back on solid ground. I should say solid asphalt. I'm on my hands and knees in the parking lot of the branch office in Spokane. I'm picking up a bureau car. No, 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 I'm all right. Just thankful to be alive. Looks like I'll be heading out Highway 2 due east. I've got about two hours of driving ahead of me that'll include lunch, one pit stop, and two cups of coffee. Unless I refill my thermos. And Diane, for the last 15 miles, I'm supposed to look out for deer on the highway. Man, wouldn't that be something? So it was kind of a natural for me to do that, because I had sort of... You know, I had his voice in my head pretty thoroughly at that point. Diane, it's 11.55 p.m., approximately 19 hours since the shooting incident, which nearly caused me to make a premature purchase of the proverbial farm. I'm dog-tired. A man can only go so long without submitting to a period of rest. And I think you would have been like a free freelance writer for Lynch Frost Productions. Is that right? Was that what they would probably would consider you? Or yeah, I was. Uh, I actually, for the first season, I worked on the production side. Oh, on set uh, as an assistant. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Anyway, production assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. What What, what did you do during yeah. that first season? I uh, just sort of absorbed the the whole part of production, which came in to be very useful later in my career when I was, you know, on shows as a producer. Yeah, so that that was interesting. I mean, you also learned that a lot of writers never learn in Hollywood is how frickin' hard it is to work in production and the insane hours you work. Yeah. So that was, you know, it was my introduction. You know, I had a few scripts option at that point. Um, I you know, wrote some pretty quirky independent film scripts. Unfortunately, never got made, but sort of got the ball rolling for me. Seeing the production side of it was, was very helpful uh, on some later shows. You know? Yeah. And so then in the second season, you became, uh, you know, you started writing. 
And I, the first one would have been uh, episode, I'm calling it episode 15, but it would be in between the reveal of who killed Laura Palmer and actually catching uh, Leland Palmer. Uh, yeah, I, it was one of those that, that really nice, it was a nice threesome of episodes that worked really well together, I think. Yeah, I, I agree uh, 100%. I actually think your episode was so good, I actually feel like you could have gone the whole season of Leland kind of... Uh, maybe the viewers knew Leland was the killer, but nobody else knew. And I thought you, you mm. did, it was a great episode. I have some very fond memories of that episode. What was her name? Uh, Louise Dombrowski doing the flashlight dance on the hook rug. Oh, yeah. With, with Ben and Jerry. Ben and Jerry. Jail. Yeah. Yeah, having a flashback in jail, which, uh, as I remember, that wasn't, I, I hadn't actually written a flashback in the script. I don't think. Yeah, I, I think Caleb did. Caleb Deschanel directed it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's one of the great cinematographers to ever live. And I think he came up with, with the idea of, of doing a flashback, but I'm not certain of that. You know, there are lots of things when you look back on, you know, in terms of reveals and the direction the second season took. That yeah. I would have done it a little differently, but, you know, <laughs> you know it wasn't my show. So. Right. Mm-hmm. I always yeah. thought that there was a challenge for you because you have the, the, the episode before where Cooper is in the roadhouse and, and something's happening and I, I guess the murder happens but he doesn't know it yet and then you have to bring, you have to figure out how to do that. Because it was interesting to me that Cooper doesn't show up for 10 minutes into your episode. So it's like, I think I was left wondering like, what is Cooper going to do now that there's been a killing and yet he comes back and he doesn't even know <laughs> that there has been a murder yet. Yeah. Well, in that episode, uh, the one before, I think, wasn't that the one that David directed? That yes. Was just one yeah. of the more amazing television episodes I've ever seen. It really is. I mean, I would just remember watching it and, with some people, because I hadn't seen a cut of it until it was broadcast. And, I mean, the whole room was just kind of shattered by it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just shaken. It yeah. was truly disturbing in a way that you just never see on network television back then anyway it's true um yeah it was it was it was the kind of thing that that it would have been really cool if we could have kept that kind of edge going for most of that second season yeah but i don't know if the the network would have you know allowed that so in david lynch's uh episode we learned that Le- there's a leland and there's a bob and he's they kill maddie but i feel like yours your episode got to flesh out that a little bit and you get to see leland looking in the mirror and we've never seen bob in the daylight so it was interesting that y- you you <laughs> you brought bob out into the daylight and maybe kind of at least helped us understand the dynamics between leland and bob yeah i guess i hadn't thought about it that way but yeah that was the first time he had really because it was all had been pretty mysterious up till the episode before that, and then you know suddenly it you know you have to hit you know Leland's in the world, so Jack, I mean Bob's got to go with him. Yeah, um, it just seemed like a natural to be driving down the road with her stuffed in a golf bag singing. <laughs> Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry when I take you out in the Surrey. When I take you out in the Surrey with a fringe on top. When I take you out in the Surrey. When I take you out in the Surrey with a fringe on top. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I mean, like, I was, it was greatly that you added to the script and then to have Ray Wise perform that. It was just perfect i mean yeah i think ray had a good time getting a little uh, musical number in as i remember <laughs> he, uh, he, he sing. kind of enjoyed that 
Because I know, I mean, he was pretty freaked out about having white hair to begin with. I think I remember when, when I don't know who, if it was either Mark or somebody told him that that's what they wanted to do, and he was he wasn't thrilled with that <laughs> idea. But just I think once he realized that oh, it's going to help me play play this, and you know, he was you know most actors when they see an edge to getting a hold of a character, they they take it for all it's worth. I think yeah, that's what mm. they do. And I wonder, like, from your perspective, do you, like, as a writer, did you see Leland as the actual person doing the bad things, or do you take it as Bob being the the evil spirit that that was doing all the bad deeds? I think it was both, actually. Yeah. I mean, he 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 embodied both of them. In truth, I think to make it real, you had to write it in a way that that you know Bob was the evil that's in in all men. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's not that he's a, an actual physical presence. He's that when things go off the rails, he's what's waiting for, you know, anybody. Right. Makes it more human, you know. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Because there isn't, a few episodes later, actually the next one after yours, there's a whole discussion with the men, uh, the men and they're talking about, is it just the evil that men, men do? do? See some strange things, but this is way off the map. I'm having a hard time believing Harry, is it easier to believe a man would rape and murder his own daughter? Any more comforting? No. An evil that great in this beautiful world. Finally, does it matter what the cause? Yes, because it's our job to stop it. Maybe that's all Bob is. The evil that men do. Maybe it doesn't matter what we call it. I have a geeky question for you, and it's it's been a long time, but I thought I'd ask you anyways. There is a scene where the one-armed man is in the Great Northern, and he he hits over hits a police officer over the head, and then he runs to the window, and the camera then follows him, and then he's he goes missing. And I guess you can think, did he jump out the window and or, turn into an owl? Well, that's what I'm gonna yeah. say. Like, yeah. This is really far-fetched, but like they they talk about the owls and spirits, and I always wondered like. Did he jump out the window, or was he a spirit that turned into an owl or something? Or as a writer, what was were you... that in my episode? That was in your episode that the, the one-armed man uh, hit over a police officer. Who I, was... I think he went out the window. Yeah. yeah, that's my my vague recollection. I but you know, if you wanted, it's you know, it's all <laughs> it's into it's all about interpretation. Mm. So uh, yeah, totally. You know, I went on to to write a lot of crime novels, and and it's um, I tend to to look at the that sort of spirit side a little more meat and potato-y because I think ultimately that's where the real drama is. But that, those are the kind of things that, you know, it's like, oh, when our man jumped out of hand, you know, I didn't remember that. Yep. Right. So and you, you, it's been you a wrote, long time since I've seen that. Yeah. And you wrote a second episode, uh, I call it episode 21, and I wondered by that time, had you been had you already finished writing Dale Cooper autobiography? Do you, you, I imagine you would have finished it by, before you wrote the second episode. I think I may have finished before I wrote the first one because mm. that was one of the more insane writing projects I had ever had. Wow. Because I literally had 30 days to write it. Really? Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was madness. Yeah. yeah. It was just, you know. That's, it a, was, that's impressive that you pulled that off in 30 days. You know, one of those things where you you jump out the door of the airplane and, you know, you hope you have a parachute, but you have no idea if you do. <laughs> oh, wow. And how did you end up writing the book? Like, so, 
I mean, you'd done the tapes, and then they were like, oh, we, we want to, you know, the, the secret diary of Laura Palmer was a success. There was actually talk, I found a newspaper article that said uh, the next book was going to be The History of Twin Peaks, and it was going to take you up to Laura Palmer's death. And, mm. and it was going to be written by your brother. And like this was in the summer. I found an art article during the summer of 1990. Do you know anything about that book? Was that something you could have done? And then they changed their mind to the autobiography of... Mm, I, I, was, I never... The only other thing I remember being talked about that was sort of a guidebook to Twin Peaks. Yeah, the Which I think they sort of did. Yeah. Uh, and then... I don't know. Did that, in a, in a way, kind of morph into the book that Mark did... Yeah, you know, it might have a year or two ago. I'm right. not sure. Uh, I think but, Mark would say uh, that. Yeah, that was mm -hmm. never that that discussion never came up. I think I think part of it was that the cassette tape was pretty successful, and it mm -hmm. just seemed like such a natural in yeah. terms of of Cooper to flesh that out more. And I think that was part of it in terms of my involvement was that you know I I sort of was the, was his voice at that point to some degree. Definitely. You know, at least in terms of writing anything in long form but he also was busy working on scripts so uh -huh. you know it, I, I i wasn't so uh, i was i was the last person standing so <laughs> that's something but yeah no it was it was uh, it, that was a real challenge yeah, I, yeah. It, was, it was wild i wonder what prepared you for the book i mean i know i found newspaper articles where you actually went to philadelphia and i think you went to like germantown friends school and you were doing research for the book yeah, I sort of made the grand tour. It was kind of ridiculous because uh, it was one of those, you know, Hollywood comes to Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, I had one of the, I forget what he was, one of the. I think he had Ken um, Shear. Yeah, Ken Shear was, came with me because he knew Philadelphia and he was sort of the, I forgot what his title was at that point. But, He's a CEO. You know, CEO. there I was walking. Yeah, something like that. So I was, you know, being shipped around in a limousine and going to all these different places. And my main memory is going to get a really terrible Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Uh, <laughs> but I think it was, you know, one of the two places that you had to go to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Um, well, I also went to the FBI Academy, which that was kind of interesting. Wow. Well, we, we actually we went to the Hoover Building first. And got the sort of dime, dime tour by a guy, as it, which was really funny because it turned out that there were a lot of fans of Twin Peaks at the FBI. Oh, oh nice. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, which was really funny because, you know, there was little about <laughs> Dale's process that had anything to do with reality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we went to uh, we went to the Hoover Building in D.C. and then we went down and spent the afternoon at the uh, Academy and met a couple of the couple of behavioral science guys and and generally just got the tour, went out, and shot some weapons on the range and you know that kind of stuff. And I just think I heard that you actually out outshot one of the uh, instructors there. I did. Yeah, I I, I was a. Uh, you know, like a state-ranked tennis player in high school, huh. and I had very good hand-eye coordination. And although I really had never shot guns at all, but I guess I was kind of a natural. And I, you know, my and then later on in life, I lived in Montana for eight years and mm -hmm. actually did a lot of hunting then. And yeah, I was I went on a book tour to uh, New Zealand, and one of the events of the book tour was shooting at a uh, gun range with Olympic targets. And huh. by the time I was done, they the guys at the, the 
who owned the reins were ready to sign me up for the national team. It was very <laughs> funny. That's something. And so did did Mark yeah. and, and David Lynch tell you anything that needed to be in the book? Because you you, you kind of chron- you know you get to a point where mm. you meet Wyndham Earl and and these are all storylines that are going to feature into the second season. Yeah, there were a few items that, and a couple of them even showed up. I think after I'd already done a second draft, you know, Mark came up with an idea for, well, we've got to get this in somewhere. So then, you know, I'd have to figure out how to, you know, weave it into his narrative. I had a breakfast with David, probably at Dupar's or someplace. And he sort of went through what he wanted, which, you know, in typical Lynch fashion, was, well, I want a thing about asparagus. (laughs) You know, which is, okay, he's got to do an investigation into asparagus. Uh, Peeing? Yeah, exactly. So that that's in the book. Uh, and uh yeah, that that was sort of the approach David would take, you know. Oh. Those, those those sort of quirky things. Yeah. Beyond that I don't really remember when he knew I knew the voice and wasn't too worried about, you know, that I don't think any of them had concerns that, you know, they needed to coach me on how Cooper sounded. Right. Mm. Yeah, you definitely had that. Yeah. Do you know if there was any characters that that were thought of being brought into the TV show? Like, I mean, I, I think of like the uh, Cooper's brother or his father. Well, I think that that was one of those things that Mark decided there was an. I think he's an English actor actually who's mm-hmm. done a lot of stuff for years, and he's older. I think he was in. He might have been in. Uh, Oh, what's the the, uh, the Christmas Carol that George C. Scott was in, and he played uh, Cratchit. Although anyway, he was in he was in one of the network productions of, and and he kind of has a look a little bit like Cooper. You'd recognize him if you saw him. And and Mark decided he'd be a great older brother. We got to put him <laughs> in the book, even though there was no place for a brother yet. Or so that was one of the things that didn't pan out. Yeah, um, and. Um, I suppose the the Wyndham Merle stuff was really the stuff that had to be weaved in. True. Uh, as I remember, because uh, that was where, you know, much of the story went that second season. Uh, we've seen the, the script to the last episode of the second season, and there was a whole thing where Cooper was going to meet his father. I, what it was, I guess it would have been in, the, in the, the the Black Lodge or something like that. But it... I, when I saw that script, it's like, oh, I wonder if this was kind of, you know, because of of your book that that this happened. But mm. I don't know. And this I was don't actually no. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually your first book you had written. I mean, you you done a bunch of novels, and this actually happened to be your first novel, right? It was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When it was published, we did a a little mini book tour out in D.C. and uh, New York, and. That was kind of fun because one of somehow they got hooked up with a Ken Shear got us hooked up with a, a guy who was the chief of staff, huh. and I think it was for Strom Thurmond who was like the assistant speaker of the house, the whip or something. Wow. Hmm. Um, and and this guy, you know, took us on a tour of the Capitol building and through all the offices and the old old Senate building and. Cause he and they had a big party, and he was just a fanatical Twin Peaks fan, which I thought was hilarious given who he worked for. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a fun uh, book launch. Yeah. Yeah. 
You did the tapes with Diane, and Cooper has talks to Diane in the show, but some of the fans wondered if Diane was even real. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you have you have Diane in the book, and you actually have Diane like having dinner with Cooper. And uh, I've always wondered if there was some kind of sexual thing going on because they're talking about the duck and how delicious the skin is and firm and delicate. And I was like, is there some kind of like hidden message here? Or are they just having dinner or is there something more there to it? <laughs> you know, I had forgotten that. So, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had no idea. All right. Yeah. Uh, I had forgotten that we had brought – well, I think that was part of the – the idea was to give Diana a, a, a presence which helped to support, you know, this quirky thing that, that Cooper had going with his little tape recorder and uh, which could be seen as a, is this, you know, exactly as you said, is this real or is, does right. Diana exist? Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't remember if she, I don't think she ever physically appeared. I mean, you guys probably have a better idea of that. Than well, I do. not until I mean, the, with 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 Mark working on the new season there, season three, of the return they brought in as uh, Laura Dern became Diane, Diane. But that was the first time. I mean, it's twenty five years later, and they finally bring in uh, Laura Dern to play Diane. Oh, that's okay. So, yeah, I not having seen that. I think I saw one episode of that. I didn't. Uh, I missed all of that. So. we can get to um, back to episode 21 that you so the great thing was you had this book and then when you go when you go to write episode 21 you uh, uh, Cooper actually gives his backstory of Caroline and Wyndham Earl and uh, do you think it was easier to write that episode having already written the book oh it probably helped but you know I think so much of, of, of the work of an episode is just getting that structural flow from scene to scene working the, the least of my concerns as i remember because you know i just knew the, the characters so i was i never really had a, a concern about the sort of backstory making sure all that worked it was just about making a, a coherent piece of cinema in a sense um and i was lucky with both of my episodes because uh, that one as i remember was directed by uli udell yeah who uh was a you know really talented independent filmmaker uh, did some pretty uh, interesting films. Wasn't that that the one where where uh, oh what's his name gets out of the wheelchair? With yes, the Leo. 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 Was, yeah. Leo. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good moment. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that whole episode so strong. I mean, looking, at, I was rewatching that episode today, and I said, boy, that's such a strong episode, and it like. Some of the other season two episodes were very comical, and it was like sometimes they had balancing issues. But I look at your episode, and you had Leo attacking Shelley, and you had Cooper telling some backstory about him, and you had then you had some comedy with the mayor wanting to kill Lana because she might have killed her brother or something mm. like that. But it was such a great balance, and I, it was such a well-made episode. Oh, good. Yeah, I, it's been like I said so long. Yeah, that was that was you know the the. That was my one one reservation about season two was it just it got a little goofy places, but you know at the same time it's really hard to sustain the kind of intensity that really came out in those three episodes. Uh, yeah, with, with that you know that arc of the murder of Meg and Maddie's death, 
you know, and and you know, the more you worked in television, the more you also understood that you know it goes back to that idea of when I did the the book of you know part of you know getting to a, a season uh, is that just jumping out of the plane and hoping you have a parachute on because yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's a scramble. Yeah, but yeah, I was very I was very pleased with with most of those episodes. Yeah, yeah. and what one of the storylines that you were involved with for your episode was this. Audrey and Bo- Audrey Horn and Bobby Briggs were hanging out with each other. Bobby wanted to get make lots of money, and he thought if he hung out with Ben Horn, he'd make money. And and I think Audrey was just trying to fix Ben because he was kind of gone crazy. But there looked like there was some chemistry there, and, the, and you have dialogue about melting ice and and you know it's meaning he, Ben's gonna melt away. And then Bobby's like, "What what about Shelley?" So he seems like he thinks that she's flirting with him. Did you or do you ever talk about this with the writing team? Were they thinking about hooking up Audrey and Bobby? Well, I think part of you know there was. I mean, back then, I mean, the camera just ate up Sherilyn Penn, and she was such a little sex bomb that you know you couldn't place any any um, one of those young men in a room with her and <laughs> not have that be an element. Yeah. And and I think it was also the dynamic of the the thing with with uh, Shelley and and Leo and you know, it was just all so complicated and so but you know the more you can complicate anything, generally speaking, uh, as long as you can make the story work, it's it's going to be more interesting. So yeah, and you had the whole Ben Horn Civil War storyline, and I guess we always wondered is it inspired by Ken Burns Civil War documentary? I think absolutely that was yes. <laughs> Especially because they yeah, had just that, come out. It, yeah, no, that thing just sort of took the the you know the country by the the throat and said, "Watch this." And I don't think any of us were any different. And you know, it, it sort of fit into Ben's kind of strange meltdown. <laughs> Got a little goofy, but you know, yeah, um, you know. But yeah, that that was part. I think that was part of the inspiration. <laughs> So the show had gone on hiatus for a period of time, and I'm going through newspapers, and they were uh, talking about these welcome back parties where, as the show was about to come back, they were having, like, different uh, cities that would have these gatherings, and you'd have famous people like Russ Tamlin and Eric Del Rey and Ken Shear went to it. And in one newspaper, it said that you went to the Washington, D.C. location. Did you actually end up going to one of those? No. Okay, so maybe they we thought... Had a, we had... Well, no, that maybe it was the big. We, had, I think that was in in conjunction with the book release. Oh, okay. That was, I think part that of that sense. was yeah. that it was also uh, it coming back. Yeah, so it was time to be because there was a big party. Now that you mentioned that we yeah. went to, uh, I have a vague memory of it. I think maybe a little bit of alcohol may have been consumed that night. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that I, I I would guess that's what it is because that was the. The only I've never been to another Twin Peaks event of any kind, so I'm assuming that's what that was. In fact, yeah. I did a an interview with uh, she a sports writer. No, the TV writer for the Washington Post, who was a Tom, really good writer, um, and I had an interview with him uh, about the book and the series. Um, and yeah, I think it was all timed at, at yeah. coming back from hiatus. Now that you've refreshed that. That makes sense. I feel, I feel like it was yeah. around March of, 
yeah, I guess March of 91. And I, th I do think now that I think about it, your book, that book was coming out at the same time that the show was coming back. Mm. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because we, we were in, uh, I was up in New York for some other interviews, and it was uh, over Easter holiday. So it would have been around that time. Yeah, yeah interesting. So here's another obscure thing. I going through newspapers. There was one. There was one thing where they were saying that they thought your sister Lindsay would be make, might make an appearance in Twin Peaks. Was there ever any thought about having your sister in the show? Sure, Mark had talked to her about it. Yeah. But at that time, she was really busy and working a lot. Yeah. So it, I'm assuming that's why she never was. Yeah. I know. I made a. I made an appearance on camera. Oh. Really? Tell us yeah. about this. Tell yeah. us about this. Yeah, I played a, uh, in the first season, I played one of the, what were they? The Icelanders at a party. Is that right? Oh. That's awesome. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm raising a, we were short of extras, I think, is ultimately what it was. And, and uh, I looked fairly Scandinavian, even though, well, I'm sure the Vikings must have rampaged their way through northern England and uh, <laughs> Scotland. So, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I... Uh, that was my, my brief flirtation, my, my Hitchcock moment. <laughs> I love it. I never knew that. I don't know. I yeah. think I've never heard that. That's before. awesome. That is yeah. really cool. Yeah, uh, you have to look really closely. And I, you know, it'd be easy to miss me. But, uh, uh, and I looked pretty stiff, frankly. Yeah, it wasn't a good performance. <laughs> And of course, your dad was part of Twin Peaks, and uh, he was he was yep. something else. I mean, I, I told Mark this too that I, my favorite performance was one was from the deleted scenes of Firewalk with Me, and he's right. talking about that the the rose there, right, and stuff. But he mm. he was an, an amazing actor, and uh, it was wonderful that he got to come back for the show uh, in the new series and stuff. And since I you know I don't have Showtime, so I didn't see any of the show because um, we actually recorded that stuff. Uh, here at, at our my house oh. uh, uh, via Skype with David. Oh. And, uh, yeah, that was the last uh, work Dad ever did. It, it beyond, you know, soon after that, it just. Well, he was basically retired anyway. Yeah. He just couldn't wait to get get out of showbiz. But you know, shortly after that, it just being able to to, to do uh, do it again was just not going to happen. Mm. Yeah. He he made an appearance. I mean, he, there's a there's another Truman. Truman uh, has a brother named Frank, Frank Truman, yeah. and he did a Skype call, and 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 he was on the show. I mean, there was a whole phone call back and forth. And I think so many fans loved it. I yeah, everybody just, loved it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he had he loved doing it because you know he was you know in his car. He was a real ham bone, even though he you know he was a sort of shy Vermont kid at mm -hmm. at another level. But uh, I guess that's why he was an actor, also. It yeah. gave him gave him an out from that. Uh, so yeah, he we it was a fun afternoon. We were. Mm -hmm. It was like almost a whole big family reunion. I mean, I don't know if it was be uh, Mark and his son. I mean, I feel like it was a bunch of you there. Yeah, they had come out. Mark and Travis had come out. Well, they usually come out, you know, every year. And because uh, I live in this little community 
where Mark and I spent our summers as a kid and where it you know, goes back to our grandparents. And part of part of it was sort of the genesis of, of uh, the original Twin Peaks and this this idea of this, you know, a small town where, you know, you had all these quirky characters. And mm-hmm. particularly when we were kids, there were some very quirky characters mm-hmm. who lived up here and there still are. You know, we're sort of, it's up on the Rensselaer Plateau, and which is the fifth largest forested area in New York. And um, oh. you get back in the woods, and yep, there's some of those people out there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a murder back in the 20s, which I guess has gotten a lot of play lately. Hazel Drew, a woman, yeah. Hazel Drew, yeah, who was found in a in a pond down the mountain from us. And it, it's been overblown as the inspiration for Twin Peaks, but it was, you know, it. it um, I think this place was more of an inspiration for Mark in terms mm-hmm. of the kind of bizarre people we would see as kids around here. And there were some real characters. Yeah, I, I was reading, I mean, going through the uh, newspapers, and Mark once said there was a woman who, I don't know, 50 times a day she would go to the hose and wash her hands or something, or just weird things that you'd see <laughs> people doing. And Yeah, no, there, there, it's, there's still some real funny characters up here. When my mom was a, a little girl here, because she grew up here, there was a house just up the road from where she grew up. And, you know, this is a, a little lake that's a mile long and, and, you know, there's maybe 50, 60 houses around it at most. And there was a house just up beyond our old house, which where she grew up, hmm. that was owned by a madam in uh, Troy. And this was where her, her working girls would come up to get away from the summer heat and occasionally... You know, some of wow. the gentleman callers would 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 visit, and uh, yeah, my mom would tell stories of uh, you know seeing these fancy cars driving up and going. Now, who are all these visitors going up there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like one eye uh, jacks well, or something. Yeah. like one eye jacks. <laughs> well, yeah, that I think there is some inspiration in in a connection to one eye jacks that way. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share about your experience working on Twin Peaks? I think the fun part of it for everybody, particularly that first season, was just the surprise that it became what it did, because no one was expecting it. Thank you, Scott Frost, for again for that interview that you did with us and, and for allowing us to share that with all our fans and listeners of uh, the show. And it's so cool. I mean, like you said, like you said, Brian, I've never heard him either. I've never heard him on audio or seeing a video of him. And so this was kind of great to be able to get to to hear him and have him share his experience working on Twin Peaks. It's kind of cool. Now, now we've had Mark Frost and his brother Scott Frost. I think that's yeah. pretty special. You know, we had Jennifer Lynch and we had we sort of had David Lynch through the cast. So it's like we're getting all the family members in, you know, it's kind of neat. <laughs> we're collecting them like Pokemon at this point, which is kind of nice. But I mean, it is really special to be able to, to talk with these people. And and I hope everyone enjoyed this interview because I know I really did yeah. as a fan myself. It was just it was great to get to talk to Scott. 
And if you want more interviews like this, we really recommend you check out our book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. You can get it at bluerosemag.com. And supplies are very limited. And if you want to send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com, go right ahead. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. It does help. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. And like us on Facebook at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. And with all that, we'll be back in uh, a week or two. See you soon. This is me, Dale, room 315 at the Great Northern Hotel, signing off.